Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Also, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. The best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is LinkedIn. In fact, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. For a $50 credit toward your first job post, visit linkedin.com. mf Terms and conditions apply. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. In this week's episode, we have a special treat. Three listeners from the show are joining us in studio to share their investing journey and advice for people looking to get started. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So this week, we're lucky to bring in a few Answers listeners into the studio who happen to be in town for Fool Fest. And we just wanted to bring you guys in here to hear about your investing journey and what's worked for you when it's come to managing your money. And I'm so excited. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Yeah, see, like this is radio. You got to make noise. Um, so we have here in the studio, we have Kathy Pfefferhan. Rex Polly. Yes, ma'am. And Jason Newman. Thank you guys for coming. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it would be great while you guys were here in town for Fool Fest to bring in a few listeners of the podcast so that you can share your personal stories um, of investing and money. Um, for those who aren't familiar with Fool Fest, it's our annual sort of big. It's the Woodstock for <laughs> Fools. It's the Woods. Yeah, it is kind of the Woodstock for Fools. So we have today, I think we have around um, maybe five or 600 members here um, all hanging out at the Westin. First off, I basically wanted to ask you guys a little bit about your own personal story, a little bit your background, unrelated to money, where you're from, what you do for a living. Now, Kathy, you are local here from Fairfax, and you uh, work for Fairfax County yeah. Schools. The public schools. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit a little bit more about yourself. Um, we moved to Reston in 1969, and so I've actually been here essentially my entire life. I moved all wow. the way to Herndon, so it was a big five minute drive away. Um, it, it's a it's a great place to live, and I'm I feel very blessed for many of the things that we have here. Graduate of South Lakes, absolutely, absolutely. All right. <laughs> and what do you do for the school system? I teach fifth grade in their advanced ac- academics program. Is fifth grade the worst? No, it's no, not. No, at all. Se- not at all. Which is the worst? Grade. Seventh and eighth I know, grade. I taught, is the worst. I taught sixth through eighth grade. Uh, seventh and eighth grade. Was uh, am I being a little too hard on the kiddos? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's more about. I feel like more lately, it's just about respect, right? And who you're respectful to or not, and where you're getting that from. So. How do you handle the social media stuff? Because if I, I w- when I was teaching, there was no such thing as smartphones. That would have driven me crazy if people were looking at their phones while I was teaching. Um, in elementary school, you're not allowed to have them out. Oh. You can bring them to school, but they have to stay in your backpack and away, and it, they, they do not come out, unless it's something that we have an activity that we need um, our, our phones for or something. I, I have not asked them to use their phones for any research, but anything like that they could bring in. Very smart. Yeah. And we also have Rex Polly. Rex, where are you from today? I am from uh, Colorado. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky enough to have graduated from literally Rocky Mountain High. And oh, wow. The, nice. the theme song was not John Denver. Okay. And uh, I've been fortunate to be living actually in New Hampshire for a majority of the last 24 years. And with you, a, with oh, a brief sorry. stint in Singapore. And you're in the biotech industry. I am. 
which I'm sure is of no interest to any fool investors anywhere. You know that I am a <laughs> biotech automation engineer. I have, I have no insights no on anything whatsoever. <laughs> so. Yeah, and um, what does it? What do you do as a biotech automation engineer? Um, I buy a lot of things. I buy pumps and valves, and then I specify and write code, or more aptly, work with other people to to write the code that runs the plant that makes the drugs. So, you know, if uh, if if you screw up coding, in most cases, you have to fix the code. If I screw up coding, you usually have to get a mop. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's it's a good life. It's 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 a very engaging industry and career path. Awesome. So. Great. And Jason, where are you from? I'm from Long Island, New York. And what do you do for a living? I work in sports media. What? I specifically sell advertising and sponsorships across television, digital, radio, print, and you name it. Does that mean you get to go to a lot of events and stuff like it that? It does. Oh, oh really? Cool. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Everyone's a sports fan. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying you can get me tickets to the Caps game is basically what you're saying. <laughs> you're talking about the Stanley Cup Finals, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like that's no big deal, right? You can do that no, for me. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. Well, let's transition a little bit more to talking about money and your early sort of experiences with money. Um, how did you learn to invest? Where did you learn to start, first start to invest, Kathy? Honestly, The Motley Fool. In um, about 1998, my boss was very into The Motley Fool and took me to a book signing with um, the boys, and I was able to purchase my first book, which you have more um, more than you think. Yeah. Um, and so I can't say that I did a lot of reading at that time about it, but more when it got easier for me with podcasts and information like that. Um, and feeling more confident. We were talking earlier about just once you're educated even a little bit, then you can take bigger steps because you feel more confident in what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so once I felt more confident and comfortable with that, um, I decided to go ahead and start doing some investing on my own. And even continuing on that, Bro was mentioning my alma mater one time about getting his degree at Kansas State University. And so I looked into that, and I now, too, am getting my degree in financial therapy there. Oh, really? Oh, wait, yeah. that's oh, awesome. We'll have to chat afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And you were actually explaining on the way over here that you are also on the board for Fairfax County Schools for the retirement, like for retirement planning. ERFC is, is what yeah. it's called, and I'm one of the three school-based uh, trustees. Yeah, very exciting. And it truly was because of this. Once I took those little baby steps, I realized, well, not only that, but I could sort of practice what I was learning at school, um, but also that I just had such an interest in being able to make sure that other people's retirement would be set as well and making sure that there's a, you know money available to everybody when they retire. Mm -hmm. Rex, how about you? How'd you get started and interested in investing? Well, I don't know. I think I made every single possible error early on, um, but with small amounts of money. Um, I was aware of the fools very early on because I was actually involved in a, a BBS that AOL purchased when AOL was first formed. Wait, what's and, a BBS? Oh, well, the uh, the bulletin board systems. Oh, that oh my God. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm, you know. Okay, people are picturing exactly how old I am at this point in time. But uh, So I actually inherited an AOL account. And so I was aware of the fools really, really early on. But uh, And uh, I think you have more than you think was probably the first book that I had. But um, I was always a believer in, in fully investing in the 401ks. I've had all the problems. I, you know, I got into front-loaded funds from yeah. you know someone who came and spoke at the company, yeah. and, and uh, I, I did a job change early on, and I, I received my check 
for the uh, you know for the four hundred one k to transfer to the other one and got the tax hit, which yep. was barely noticeable at the income I had at the time. But you know, all the mistakes, made them all, read the books, <laughs> and you're better. still in good shape. Well, you're still fine. It's it's a good thing it's radio because no one would believe you if they you know I, <laughs> financially I'm in good shape. <laughs> It's when you're talking about how you made a lot of mistakes early with small amounts of money. I've heard Rick say that um, at cocktail parties, too, how because uh, you started the fool so early on. Ballard power, baby. Ballard power. I don't know what that means. <laughs> we, we have some nods here in the, in the room. What does that mean? Those fuel cells are going to be the big rage in about 10 years. Yes. And so did a bunch of people. You guys all invested in Ballard power. I did, for sure. I was, I was at I the University that. of Utah when they announced Cold Fusion, that they had... Uh, you know, that they had discovered cold fusion, and that was going to be the next true. thing. Not true. Right. <laughs> exactly. I remember I, my dad's actually a nuclear physicist, and so, or astrophysicist, and so I remember being in um, Idaho, and, my, and the news came on, and my dad was like, I don't buy it. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I, there's something wrong there. I don't think they really solved cold fusion. Um, Jason, how yeah. about you? How'd you learn to invest? I'll complete the trifecta. I, too, started with a copy of You Have More Than You Think by David and Tom Gardner, wow. which my aunt bought for me when I was in college. What a great aunt. And, uh, and you actually read it. I actually read it. <laughs> and like Kathy, I went to a book signing in Manhattan with Bro was with David and Tom, had a chance to meet them, and I was uh, all in from that point forward. I became an active member of the message boards, just early subscriber to the stock advisor service when it launched. And um, my 20-year full anniversary will be in April wow, next year. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. So we, um, we actually did mention the caps. Uh, and I have been steeped in Motley Fool history because it is the 25th anniversary of the Motley Fool. And um, it's funny how people nowadays just know of Ted Leonsis as like the owner of the Caps, <laughs> but they don't realize that Ted Leonsis is who gave the Motley Fool their start on AOL, right. and that he basically went up to them and was like, "Hey, I like what you guys are doing over on the Prodigy boards. Does something that sound like right? That. Like something like that?" And then Lord said, "We're going to give you um, part of the green. Was it the green light greenhouse green something?" Yes, one of those. One of those things. They had this program. <laughs> incubator thing. Yeah, it was basically an incubator, and they're like, we're going to give you your own corner of, of AOL. Keyword? Fool. Keyword fool. Ask your parents, kiddos. <laughs> and uh, and back, I'd forgotten back in the day, they used to charge you by the minute yep, that's right. for the internet. Like, these kids don't realize how great they've got mm. it. And you couldn't be on the phone while you were doing it. No, that. you couldn't exactly. be on the phone, and you'd get a real screech in your ear. But yeah, so so the cat, so most kids these days just know Ted Leonsis as a as a investor, philanthropist, and, found, and owner of the Caps. But yeah, they, we're, we're here at The Fool because of him giving us a shot on AOL. Yep. And also because Tom and David were just so great. Sure. Yep. Right, they were a success story. Yeah. Um, so yesterday at Fool Fest, Tom told a story about how the game designer, Reiner Knizia, came to the Fool and was playing board games with Tom and David. And they happened to be playing games that he designed. And so, of course, he was just crushing Tom and David at these games. And Tom had said that uh, he's a German, he's a German board game designer. Tom had said that, you know, as uh, they were lamenting how much this guy was destroying them at the game, um, Reiner was moving his piece along the board and saying, You will not learn until it hurts. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was wondering if there's any lessons that you've learned. Um, be it investing or just generally managing your money, where you're like, okay, that lesson, that lesson really hurt, and I learned a lot from that one. That one, that lesson stuck with me. 
Rex, I feel like you maybe have one that particularly hurt because you were talking earlier about all the mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah made. they all hurt. Um, uh, as a gamer, as a longtime board gamer, I have to, you know, we, I was lucky enough to do one of the tours of Fool HQ associated with, with the fest. And uh, I want to tell all the gamers out there that I saw whiteboards where they were representing people with the little pawn shaped people, which are called meeples. Just if you want to know, <laughs> so but meeples on the whiteboard representing individuals, which just I, I was very proud of you for that. Well, and I'm proud and of our, the gamer, the gamer history there. In our second floor, history. all the all the conference rooms are named after games. Yeah, including one of my favorites, Seven Wonders, which you yeah. know, young Mister Engdahl and I were talking about on the walk over. Yeah. yeah so one. what did I learn from? Oh God. Um, Sure. Let's see. Yeah, the front-loaded funds was, I think, the the biggest sin, um, and only because my company was very small at the time, and so they had brought in individuals to speak to us from from local representatives, yeah. and um, you know, and so I was one of the people. I was a believer. I was already doing everything I could do in my four hundred one k, and I'm like, okay, this is great. And then we go, and you know, they're saying, oh, well, you know, we have, you know, we have to make some money at this too, and so this is why we do this. And I'm like, oh, you know, and, you know, and it was all presented very flatly and doobie doo, and you know, and eventually I realized, you know, reading the book, eventually I realized it's like it doesn't have to be like that. And yeah. I, 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 you know, I used another wonderful piece of fool advice, and I went and I found my friendly local neighborhood um, fee-based financial advisor, right? And uh, that was that was fabulous. And she, you know, she turned me around and we did a bunch of good things. And there's a number of things that she put, you know, I'll say us, speaking of the collective of my wife and I, um, that she put us in at that point in time that we're still in today. That's so great. I, and I plan to revisit her because I haven't seen her in 20-something years, <laughs> you know, to say, uh, you know, how am I doing? Or did I, you know, or did I screw up or whatnot? Right. But I think, I think the whole fee-based thing is fabulous. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great idea. I mean, there are a lot of people here at The Motley Fool are essentially do-it-yourselfers. But I think it's a great idea every once in a while, especially before a big life event like you're thinking of retiring, mm-hmm. to go to see a qualified financial planner just to make sure you're on the right track. Right. Yeah. And, and everybody talks about how much people's eyes roll or whatever when you start talking finances if they're not interested. Right. As a hobby or, you know, you can two hobbyists can talk about anything forever. But if only one of them is a hobbyist, it gets really it gets yeah. really quiet pretty quick. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's good to have someone you can talk to. Yeah. I, I would say that the one thing that hurt the most early on when I started investing was um, taking too many opinions, taking too much advice mm-hmm. from others, um, following the, the, the trend or. Uh, the hot name, as they might have said, uh, and not trusting my own gut and trusting my own judgment uh, with respect to the investments that I chose. Um, you know, Rick mentioned Ballard Power, for example. I, I didn't know anything about fuel cells or, or the future of energy at the time when I bought shares of Ballard Power. I was just looking for something that was going to give me a quick return. So I think, you know, one of the things that um, was probably most impactful to my investing career was recognizing that I do in fact have the information I need to make good decisions, and I should I should trust my own gut and not the noise or the input from others uh, as a, as a, as a first pass or first litmus test with respect to where where I put my hard earned money. Mm-hmm. Great, Kathy. How about you? I, I think. Because at first I was thinking of you know an error, and I think truly my error has been waiting. So not thinking that I could invest, that I either didn't have the skill set or that it would take too much money. Um, and so 
waiting to, you know, like the last five years or so really getting involved in this. And so I would encourage people to take the lesson learned from me is that you can invest and it can be small amounts and you can go ahead and make those little mistakes because that will help you, you know, in your own education and you're going forward in it. Um, but get started. Just mm-hmm. just do get started because you can be an investor, even though that sounds like a big thing or a scary thing. Yeah. How 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 do you invest? Do you um, do you have like a process? Do you just keep your eyes out for individual stocks? Are you? Because um, I think investor can mean a lot of things. Like for, for the hobbyist Rex, like some people can have miles of spreadsheets and they're constantly crunching numbers and they're going to allocate so much money every month and then they'll make that you right. They can be very formulaic and other people can just be like, you know what? When I see a stock I like, I buy it and mostly I'm in index funds or mostly I do this. How 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 do you invest? How does it work for you? I tend to choose things that I'm aware of. In other words, you know, companies that I either shop at or have purchased products from or have an understanding of. Um, that that limits me in a way, right? So in in some ways that that's a limiting factor. But um, again, the more education I can get, I, I'm honestly I rely on a lot of the podcast information just to at least be educated and then make a decision. Very specifically, I remember. Um, a few summers ago, they were talking about Coke and Pepsi. And, you know, the, because Pepsi was purchasing food, that that made it maybe a better choice because um, I have snack foods now. Mm. And it might make it a better choice. And I just said, I only drink Diet Coke. I can't, I cannot invest my money in something that I am daily investing my money in. And it's been a great buy for me. I mean, it has not been wrong. So I tend to, to you know, rely on what I know and use that. But I, I have zero spreadsheets. I have not. I mean, I just I, I buy what seems right to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's worked out well for you so far. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. Rex, how about you? Oh, I totally bought into the credit cards that I was using in 2007. So I bought a bunch of Citibank and I bought a bunch of Barclays. And that's really worked out for me well. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yes I you know I, I contributed my 401k I have a fixed amount that that comes I pretty much invest it as soon as it hits I don't sit on a lot of cash um, I have some number of things that I'll I'll take I'll reinvest in some things I won't and then I cycle the money and I, I do try to spread out I try to listen to young Mr Brocamp and and the rule of retirement side of it. I, I literally do read every word you guys send out. Oh Just, my you know, I may be that one guy, but, you know. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have no kids. I, I have some amount of free time. So, no, I, you know, so I'm, I, and again, I do like to validate with things that I actually do in my life, right? I don't own any Under Armour. Clothing thing. that worked out. That clothing, worked out but I do own some. I, I I do own some stock. You do wear clothes. Oh, oh. I do wear clothes. Yeah. You good. know, which again, a, a gift to radio listeners. But um, but uh, but yeah, I I pretty much every teenager in my life at one point in time, every time I saw them, they were all wearing Under Armour mm-hmm. head to toe, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, it's it's a thing. It's not my thing, but it's a thing. So, yeah. yeah. So you did invest in Under Armour. I did. Or you did? I, did. Oh. I did. I did. I used that as a. Ah. Sorry. There's time. <laughs> no. It'll be fine. It'll be no, fine. You just have to hold it. I love it, Patty. Yes. There's time. Patience. Yes, absolutely. I you know. love it. I yeah. love it. How about you, Jason? I'm very much uh, come from the school of David Gardner's investing philosophy. I would oh, yeah. s- consider myself to be more of a rule breaker investor, but at the same time, uh, holding true to uh, some of the principles I learned very early on from David and Tom, which is to say, Focus on businesses you understand and know, founder-led businesses, businesses that are in good shape on the balance sheet in terms of little to no debt, recurring, uh, you know, strong cash flows and things of that nature. Um, 
as I've gotten uh, older, I've also focused on diversifying uh, more broadly in terms of small caps and large caps. Uh, in the last five years or so, I've focused very, uh, very much on that small cap space, looking for tomorrow's rule breakers, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, it's been amazing to see my investments in companies like Apple and Netflix return you know, thousands and thousands of percentage points, but knowing that they probably won't be able to repeat that performance over the next decade, I'm looking for uh, new ideas and, and smaller businesses that can, in fact, return that kind of performance over the next couple of decades. So, uh, like Rex, I'm typically all fully invested, uh, mm -hmm. very little cash other than what my family might need in the next year should our circumstances change. So for the last 10 years, they've been saying there's going to be a downturn in the market. It's common. It's common. And how how do you guys feel about that? How are you, the idea of a, of a downturn and doom and gloom, um, are you like, cool, well, bring it. I'll go shopping. Like, I, is it? Are you worried at all as investors? It happen, or it happens, right? Yeah. I think any student of the market knows that the market's down at least one out of every three years, right? Uh, over the last hundred years. So, if unless we're going to be in this game for another two hundred years to see that change, I think you have to expect volatility. I think you have to expect um, decreases of varying sizes and be okay with that. If you're not, then you're probably playing the wrong game or investing in businesses when you should probably be investing in the broader market. Yeah. Um, you've been investing long enough that you've seen how you can come out the other end of a market downturn in your own per portfolio, because you've been investing for so long. So, is there any um, words of advice that you could offer maybe our audience to be like, it, it'll turn, it'll, don't, don't fear the the bear. Yeah, <laughs> don't fear the bear. That's a good one. I, I embrace the bear first of all. Uh, hug the bear. Snuggle the bear. Hug the bear. No. I, yeah, I mean, I, if if you're not excited about if you're a long-term investor and you're not excited about opportunities when what you're buying is less expensive, then you're crazy. Anybody that's investing for longer than a decade, in some cases two decades, three decades, you can look back over your performance as long as you've been holding those businesses. No doubt about it, your best returns are going to be at those times when the market was the lowest. So, mm -hmm. uh, And that can be the case for the broader market, or it can be the case for any one given company, right? When Reed Hastings decided Quickster was a good idea, and Netflix <laughs> stock went from 60 to you know, 15, mm -hmm. um, the person that took a broader outlook on things and understood that the fundamentals of that business hadn't really changed, mm -hmm. and this was a short-term PR disaster, might have invested in the business at that time, that can be game-changing. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And then, you know, one other point, just to go back to what you said about um, waiting and trying to time those moments, right? I, it's often repeated around, you know, fooldom, but... You know, it's the time in the market, not timing the market, that's going to make you wealthy in the end, and uh, you can't repeat that often enough. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. uh, so, Rex, you're in the biotech industry. Let's shift to talking about stocks and and specific stocks here. Um, as someone in the biotech industry, which no one cares about investing yeah. in, um, <laughs> are there any? Are there any? Like, do you feel you have an edge there to invest? And you try? Do you try to take advantage of that because you you do that for a living? I actually, in in a way, I don't. I, I purposely don't. Mm -hmm. um, I actually work for a contract manufacturing organization that makes products for other customers. So I get to actually make products for a variety of the big names out there. And so 
I, I try not to, you know, I, I doubt it's insider trading, right? But I do, you know, I, I, I try to step away and look at more more global things, things that are serving the whole of biotech rather than, you know, hey, I think that company's got something going, right? Because then it, it just distances me that one step. Yeah. Okay, you can so, go ahead and write your stock picks on a piece of paper and just can. slide it to me. <laughs> can, after can. we'll do that, we'll talk they about that They won't be able to see it show. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kathy, you are an educator. So how have you, I imagine you've educated some people around you about how to be better with that money. Do you have any advice on how to share, share the love with those around you? I'm very passionate about financial literacy, again, because I feel like I came to it late myself. And I have a club that I've been offering for the past three or four years called uh, Fearless Financial Fellows, where the kids learn just the most basic, you know, finance words and then we have our own checkbook and then we move into our own place and we you know see how much things cost because they think everything is absolutely within their budget even though you know because they're making twenty thousand dollars a year and and so just that reality that it it doesn't always fit into it but we end with choosing stocks talking about why we chose those stocks and if i give you five thousand invisible dollars what can you buy well you could buy one or two of this company that you're thinking of but maybe you want to be looking at other companies and you can get more of those you know and, and just talking about um stocks at a very basic level but again that you can buy a lot or you can buy a little but you know that you have a finite set of money um in terms of adults again trying to utilize um you know, what I'm going to school for. I um, started a company called Capital Coaching, where I meet with people and help them just understand their own expenses and um, where they're spending their money and how they can pay off their credit cards more quickly. And that's, that's a one person at a time, but certainly within my circle of friends and my own children, being able to educate people, I, I just, I think it just keeps coming back to that education. I mean, the financial therapy, educating people about how they are capable of dealing with their finances, that it's not a mystery. Because I know when I first, you know, graduated college and, you know, once we eventually talked about buying a house and they said, you know, there were so many points. I was like, sure. I have no idea what you're talking about, but <laughs> there are points. And I don't know what the points are for. And I don't know how they're, if they're good or bad. It seemed bad. But, you know, not not having that education um, and, and knowing that I don't have all the answers, but you can find answers. And, it, and it's not a huge challenge, but but it's very rewarding when you do. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Jason, you've been investing for, you said, 20 years now. Are you like that guy at the barbecue who's always trying to like get his friends interested in taking care of their money more? Or do you just let let people suffer? My do you just keep my that friend. information all to Quietly yourself? enjoy your superiority. Like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a passionate advocate for financial literacy, mm -hmm. like Kathy. Uh, my friends would probably tell you that I am definitely that guy, but I try to keep it in check and make it interesting. I think, you know, investing... The, the way that we all uh, invest is about learning and understanding the best businesses of our time. And these businesses impact everybody at that barbecue, whether they're interested in investing mm -hmm. or not. So uh, you, you try to find a way to make it interesting for them. Um, but my passion in life f for investing is really starting to manifest itself more so in financial literacy for children. Mm -hmm. So I've been exploring and trying to figure out ways where instead of being that guy at the barbecue that perhaps others aren't as much interested in talking to about investing. Oh, no, um, they love it yeah. when you corner them. Yeah, I bet they do. <laughs> um, I, I'd rather, uh, you know, kind of spark those flames inside the minds of the youth who, despite all the things they're asked to learn in school, usually aren't asked to learn how to keep track of their own finances. Yeah. And 
Uh, so that that's in my future. Yeah, yeah. That's I've done a, I've done a number of those the stockpile gift cards to like actually newborns. Mm. Wow. Right, that's been you know especially like, and uh, you know, and I had a 13 year old in my life come to me the other day and it's like I want to learn about stocks. I learned about Buffett, and I'm like, okay, be careful. You know, because if you give me your email address, you're, you're going like, to get a <laughs> deluge. Like, it's go time. It's like, here Let's we go. go. <laughs> but, but no, it's, it's absolutely true. It's like, you know, culturally, the U.S. has a weird stigma about talking about money. Just, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And again, I lived in Singapore for a period of time, and it was not out of character for the person ringing up your groceries to just ask you how much money you made. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? You know, and it just, it wasn't, you know, and when I'm, when you're applying for a job, your current salary is, and your picture is on your resume. Uh-huh. It's just that's you know it just things have cost and it's recognized and so huh, interesting yeah mm-hmm. all right it's time to wind down this conversation and I wanted to close kind of with your best piece of advice for our listeners maybe those who are starting out maybe those who aren't starting out on um, I don't know you can you can take I mean it could be advice for how to make a great brownie if you want or <laughs> how to automate your biotechiness um, hopefully it's a piece of advice about money but it doesn't have to be so um, do you mind kicking us off not at all okay um, so educate yourself and utilize and as you as Jason said that sometimes there's too much information but at least take it in and, and make it your own education and then get started. Just do something to get started. I think that there's no one answer. Otherwise, we would all own the exact same things in the exact same percents. But get started with something that feel good, that feels good to you. And, and you're going to make mistakes, but, but just try. Yeah, start. You can you can understand it. None of this stuff is that cryptic, and that's that's part of the big appeal of the fools. Is you know, it's English majors writing about finance, and I yeah. think that's you know, mm-hmm. and it was all good and straightforward. If you use a bank, investigate a credit union. Just get that better little bit of percent, and you know, I mean, my first Roth was through my credit union, and you know, so yeah, just start. You can understand it. Start with something small, and you know, yeah, get yourself the advantages of all the normal stuff, like like Bro says, you know, try to lower your cable bill once a you know once a year or whatever else, and you know, you can you can find ways to carve a little bit more money, and there are, there are everyday things you can do that will. You know, give you better returns and give you more opportunities. And without a doubt, you can't. You know, you have to be in the game, right? So mm-hmm. getting getting started. But in terms of the, my best piece of advice, I would say once you're in the game, stay in the game. Mm-hmm. Back to not trying to time the market. But the beauty of compound interest is what happens over decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thinking, you know, mongers sit on your butt. You know, get in the game and yeah. sit on your butt. Or Buffett's, when you buy a company, um, buy it with the mindset of the market's closed for the next decade. Um, that Both of those pieces of advice emphasize not just getting in the game, but staying in the game and not trying to think you're smarter than uh, just buy the best businesses and let them run. So yeah. be patient. Yeah. Great. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Do you mind sticking around um, for a little game? Not at all. Okay, yeah. good. You have to. All right. <laughs> Great. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. 
To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week, in every industry, even yours and mine. Hundreds of thousands of businesses posted jobs to LinkedIn in the last year, and they ended up rating LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards. Why? Well, LinkedIn considers skills, experience, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates. Go to linkedin.com slash MF and get $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash MF for a $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. By the time we got to Woodstock, we were held up in the storm. talked about it's the Motley Fool's 25th anniversary coming up this June, and so I thought it'd be fun to bring you guys in to play a game of two truths and a lie. So I'm going to tell you three stories from the history of the Motley Fool. You have to figure out which one is a lie. And these are going to be hard, by the way. You have to be, you, I don't know. We'll see how they do. We'll You'll be able to do. get them. Well, Rick will be able to, you guys will be able to get them because you actually lived through it. So we'll see. All right. First category is Tom Gardner, our favorite bachelor. Donald Trump made an appearance on the Motley Fool radio show in 1999, during which David tried to set Tom up with Ivanka, since she was such a fan of the Motley Fool. Next one. In 2000, Tom Gardner made the very first people's list of most eligible bachelors. His photo was opposite Enrique Iglesias emerging from a swimming pool. Which is a rough draw. (laughs) In 2006, Tom made an appearance on the short-lived CNBC reality dating show, Buy and Hold. All right, those are the three. Two Two are true. Two are true, one's a lie. The middle one's a lie. Uh, Mm. That's that Tom made the people's very first list of most eligible bachelors? Yes. All right, Rex, Kathy, what do you think? I I say that too. I'm going to go, I'll be different. I'll say number three is a lie. Rex, you got it right. Oh, wow. hey. Good in job. 2000, Tom Gardner was on the list of people's most eligible bachelors. Wow. George Clooney made the cover. So this is how this game is going to be very tough, because Tom actually was on a reality dating show in 2006. It was just that the reality dating show was called Lisa Loeb, number one <laughs> single. And it was about Lisa Loeb trying to find love. And he was one of the bachelors they set her up with on the show. Wow! wow. It didn't, I okay. know. <laughs> well, yeah, the best the best lies are near truth, right? I know. That's, right, so right, these right. are going to be tough for you. I All really right. hope that's on YouTube. <laughs> so I don't. I think he actually didn't even make the show. It didn't even air. Oh, oh. Uh, well, yeah. The show aired, but Tom Bart did it. The Tom episode didn't. So that that may be hurt. Okay. <laughs> All right, so as you guys know, uh, every year we do an April Fool's joke, and it used to actually fool people. Nowadays, it's pretty hard to fool people with an April Fool's joke. But here are three stories about the times that we actually tricked major media outlets into thinking our April Fool's joke was real. April 1, 1994, Tom and David kicked off the very first April Fool's joke by hyping the company Zygletics, an innovative septic accessories company in the country of Chad listed on the Halifax Canadian Exchange. 
Neither the technology company or the exchange even existed, which frustrated brokers when they received calls from clients trying to get in. The stunt took off on, I believe it was on Prodigy, the billboards at this time, and caught the attention of the Wall Street Journal, which was a huge deal for the fledgling newsletter with 360 subscribers. April 1, 1999, The Motley Fool launched an IPO endeavor called eDevil, a tech startup that delivers just the deviled part of a deviled egg. You can order it online, and in a few days, you get just the deviled part. You gotta su- supply your own egg white, I guess? I don't know. Anyway, the website, three weeks later, the website is included in the Seattle Times list of their 10 favorite food websites. April 1, 1998. The Motley Fool issued a press release admitting to the world that they had been wrong about how most actively managed mutual funds underperform the market. The reason? Sorry, guys. We had the chart upside down. The Raleigh News Observer runs the story on the front page of their business section. All right. So we've got uh, Zygletics in the Wall Street Journal, uh, E-Devil, an IPO that gives you just the deviled egg. Did the Seattle Times fall for it? And then uh, mutual funds. They actually do outperform. Number three is true. So I'm going to say number one. Okay. I don't remember Zygletics, so I'm going to say E-Devil. Okay. I believe one and three are true because I remember the Halifax Exchange and number three got a lot of... And, and you summarize them all in the Appendix A of the most recent copy of the book of the investment. Oh. So it's got to be number two. You're right. It's number two. So, but again, I made it tricky. Uh, that one is not true. But instead, it wasn't e devil. It was e meringue, where you could order yes. just yes. the tops of yes. the pie. That's right. That's right. All right. And it was included in the Seattle, the Seattle Times. Did list e meringue on their list of top ten uh, food foods. websites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Chris Hill was working here at the at the Fool during the Raleigh News Observer thing, and he said that he got such an earful from the editor of the Raleigh News Observer when they found out that they had accidentally published that we were wrong about mutual funds, that they'd fallen for it. So the very next day, they had to run uh, a correction. Mm. Um, Anyway. All right, last one. This is all about how the Motley Fool itself was a celebrity from time to time. In season two, episode one of The Sopranos, The Motley Fool was featured in an episode as Carmela researches online how to invest her money should Tony get whacked. Next one. Motley Fool was featured in a season one episode of Seinfeld called The Stock Tip, where George says he got a stock tip from The Motley Fool and tries to convince Jerry and Elaine to invest as well. Jerry takes a girlfriend to Vermont, and Elaine's boyfriend chooses his cats over her. Finally, The Motley Fool was featured as a question on Jeopardy in 2012. I'll take apps for 1600 Alex. Need to watch your amalgamated button stock? This site, inspired by gestures, has an app with a real-time portfolio tracking. So we've got Sopranos, Seinfeld, or Jeopardy. I've been wrong every time, so I'm going last. (laughs) (laughs) I told you they'd be hard. This is the tiebreaker for me. I'll say... The Sopranos was false. I'll say Seinfeld was false. Sopranos. All right. Rick, do you want to tell the story? Uh, I don't know the story, but I do know that I was asked at one point to make a fake website that looked like our front page with a couple of things emphasized so that it could be used on The Sopranos. So 
what you see in that flash of a moment when you see her looking at the her stocks and bonds was made by me back in the day. You're a star. (laughs) Yeah. And so there was, in fact, a Seinfeld episode called The Stock Tip. But George got the stock tip from just a friend and not the Motley Fool. So that so, and we was, were an answer on Jeopardy. I think and more we were than an once. On Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny to me because it's like this site has an app with a real time portfolio tracking, and I'm like, oh, apps. That's a sore subject with the Motley Fool. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we have a winner. Rex, was it you? You know, I'm always bad at keeping track of this. So I think we're all winners. You're all so, winners. Me in particular. So yeah, it's all good. All right, thank you guys so much for joining us here. Kathy, Rex, Jason, this was fantastic to have you. Um, Now it's time for the closer, because that's the show. Uh, I want to thank Brandy and Shane, who sent an awesome lenticular card from Crater Lake. I don't have them with me right here, sorry. Uh, And Dave, the guy who yells stocks at the end of every postcard he sends us. Um, He went to Buddha, he'll he'll just talk, 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 and then he'll be like, stocks! And it just makes me laugh. Um, He sent a card from Budapest, Prague, and Austria, which means I got to cross three more countries off our list. Nice. So, so far we've gotten postcards from 40 countries and 31 states. So not too bad. All right. The show is edited. Do one of you guys want to decide how it's been edited? Webpagingly. Webpagingly (laughs) by Rick Engdahl. Anachronistically. (laughs) Uh, For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. 